This episode of the How of Car Washing is brought to you by SDI Conveyors. SDI Conveyors is the gold standard for belted conveyor systems for car washes. If you're considering a new car wash, or if you're considering a major remodel, and you'd like to put in a belt, you owe it yourself to look at the gold standard STI conveyor systems. For more information, go to www.sticonveyor.com or contact them at 705-728-4868. Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner operator and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, and welcome to this episode of The How of Car Washing. This is David Begin, and today we got two special guests. This is the first time I've interviewed two people at the same time. We have got the HR Ninjas on today from Affinity HR Group, and then we got Claudia St. John, who's the president of Affinity HR, and that might be a name you recognize because Claudia has been pretty involved with the International Car Wash Association and done a number of things. She's been involved in women of uh, women in car washing. Is that the name? Women of it, in Claudia? car wash. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So she's been a speaker at that. She's been a becoming a common speaker at the uh, car wash show that we uh, just finished up in Nashville. And uh, you know, she's the president of this company. She's been involved in HR for many many years. Does a lot of things very recognized person in the HR space. We also have Lisa Ritchie, who's the vice president of recruiting and talent for HR, uh, Affinity HR Group. I always get that confused, guys. I always say HR Affinity or Affinity HR, but it's Affinity HR Group, and I'll try to remember that. But uh, Lisa's with us as well. She's been in the business for over 15 years. She specializes in recruiting uh, for uh, Affinity HR. Uh, she's actually doing a, a, some work for the International Car Association and helping pick board members. So you might hear from her if you're going to be considered a board member for the International Car Association. But uh, so uh, these are people that actually love HR. And I appreciate you guys being being on this podcast. And I love visiting with you guys because you guys have really changed my perspective on human resources. And you've got me thinking about things. And I, I think you guys bring a great perspective to the workforce and you help educate me on what's happening in the workforce and and as an owner and as a manager how to think about the workforce so thanks so much for that our pleasure we love it thank you yeah, and thank you yeah. for having us we're delighted to to be back on and to be a part of this it's uh, as you said we love it so it's it's yeah. a little infectious for us we love to talk about it yeah it's great do you got uh, who wants to talk about affinity uh, affinity hr who wants to kind of give some kind of a broad background of what, what you guys do. I'll, I'll take that one. This is Claudia St. John. So um, we started Affinity HR Group um, back about 10 years ago. Um, uh, we had been individual consultants doing sort of our own thing. And then um, an international trade association came to us and said, you know, our members tend to be smaller. Um, they don't have anyone who's dedicated to doing HR, or if they are doing HR, it's usually the office manager or the accountant or the owner. And gosh, could you put together an offering that we could provide to our members? And so that was, uh, as I said, about 10 years ago. Um, we now have 17 trade associations. We do a lot of work in the car care space, both with the International Car Wash Association and also the Automotive Oil Change Association, AOCA. Uh -huh. um, and so uh, we work t typically with small to mid-sized companies, um, helping them with their HR. We have sort of four main areas that we work in. Um, one of them is, is recruiting under Lisa's uh, um, expert uh, guidance. Uh, so we do a lot of headhunting, a lot of recruiting and selection and evaluation and testing and all of those components to bringing on talent, which we did for you and, and, and loved, yeah. loved having you as a client. Um, we also have a compliance arm, so we can do employee handbooks, we can do HR audits, and we also have folks who just, you know, you have an issue with an employee and you just don't know what to do about it and you don't really want to call an attorney. So we're there for that just to answer those on-call kind of ad hoc questions. 
Um, and then we have uh, an employee engagement and organizational development branch to sort of help team alignments and communication and workshops and a compensation arm. So pretty, pretty full, full spectrum um, um, menu of services that we offer. And um, one thing I'm really excited about is I'm working with the International Car Wash Association right now to develop a uh, management skills all day, one day training program that we're doing a beta launch in August. So um, just a, a lot, a lot of fun things we're doing in, in the area of, of uh, um, car wash and auto care. So. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's, it's an industry that's growing, as you well know, and, and uh, you know, you find out, you know, there's, there's so much to it. And I think putting small business owners in charge of HR is like giving a knife to a toddler. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it is dangerous. And, and I've, I've really appreciated what you guys do and what you bring. Well, well, what is it about the HR space that you guys love? I mean, you guys seem to have a real passion for human resources. What is it that kind of drives you on a day-to-day -day basis from a passion standpoint. Well, this is Claudia. I'll, I'll take the first shot and then, and then let, let Lisa come after it. We, and we yeah. do, what's really interesting is that we have different folks who head up all of those four divisions that I, that I described for you. And my passion is people. I am just an absolute profound extrovert and I love mm. working with people. I love being around people. I love creating a workplace that's positive for people. And I also, um, I don't love it, but um, I take great satisfaction satisfaction in helping work through some of those really hard conversations when you have to let somebody go or you have to have a, you know, a serious, com a corrective conversation. For me, I like doing those because it's, a, it's always a goal for me to do them as gracefully and gently as possible. So that's really my right. favorite thing. I hate doing employee handbooks. I hate writing policies and procedures. <laughs> I cannot stand you and me labor you law and me compliance. Both. So we have somebody who does that, but that my my real passion is is the is the is the people side of the house is is really engaging yeah. and, and doing that, um, and Lisa shares a good chunk of that as well. Yeah, so so I've been in recruiting in one way or another uh, since the early '90s, and um, you know, I've given it a lot of thought. I think I'm stuck now. I don't, I don't think I'm ever going anywhere else. And and I like um, I like putting people together. And I think that's what recruiting is. It's, it's, it's finding the right opportunities for the right people. And so I get a lot of satisfaction, you know, when I get an, a, an email, obviously getting an email from a client that they're happy with their employee, but even more so when I get a, an email from the, the new employee saying, you know, this has changed my life or this is, this is wonderful and I'm really happy. And that's, that's what really, um, keeps me engaged and every day is different you know we're working with yeah. lots of different kinds of people on a daily basis and um it's it's fun yeah no i think that's super and i i, I like you guys passion in this area it's kind of helped me develop a little bit of a passion for human resources and building a team and and you know and we've seen some great improvements in the last year you know in our teams and i think you guys have been a big part of that but we're you know our turnover is much lower than it used to be um, you know, we're, I think we're, we're seeing more teamwork amongst the, the sites. And I think all that, it makes me feel better because I want to, I want a place where people want to come to work and they enjoy working mm -hmm. because I, I, I know what it's like, man. If you're in a position you don't like, or you don't like being there, you know, you're, you're not doing anybody any favors. You're not doing your customers any favors. You're not doing the team any favors if you're in the wrong, wrong place. Mm -hmm. So I certainly get your passion, Claudia, for helping people get to the right place. Mm -hmm. Right. So and I, I like it. I like the way you approach it from, you know, we're not firing somebody. We got to get you to where, where you need to be, where you're going to thrive and, and be successful. I have to, I have to toot, uh, I have to toot Lisa's horn. Um, we've had a number of clients that um, have come to us that were the unsuccessful candidates of previous searches. And mm -hmm. one of the things, and, and I think it's a core value of ours, and, and I'm really lucky because everybody that works for me is smarter than me. So I make it a plan. I make it my, my goal to hire people who just know more and do better than I do. So my, I my effort yeah. of managing, I don't have to manage anybody. They actually kind of have to manage me to keep me on track because yeah. I chase butterflies and rainbows and things like that. But, yep. but, you know, Lisa's approach to recruiting, which I think is such a fundamental piece of our core value and everything that we try to do with our clients is we need to treat literally every 
everybody in that recruiting process with respect. And she does such a good job of that so much so that oftentimes they will become clients. And why that's so important for our, our clients, first of all, we want to treat everybody with respect, but also those people, they're going to end up in the industry somewhere. And if they yeah. haven't been treated well or they feel like they've been beat up, especially at a time that, you know, gosh, it's such a vulnerable time when you're, when you're looking for a job and interviewing, you, you know, everybody else has the power and you have none, um, yeah. that treating them with respect is going to mean that they're going to leave wanting you. They're going to leave wanting that company even more. And that's a real goal of Lisa's and her team. And they just do an amazing job at that. That's good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, we, we've used Lisa. So Lisa's helped us, you know, recruit and hire site managers. And she's been a big help for us too. So that's in, in a very tight job market in a very, you know, low unemployment city. So mm, it was yes. really helpful to have her involved. But so I want to break this up into two sections. First of all, I love talking to you guys about what's going on in employment law because you guys seem to be on the leading edge and really understand some of the mega trends that are going on. And then I want to kind of talk about with Lisa and, and Claudia for in terms of recruiting. So, you know, we're all challenged with getting, getting people to come work for us. And, you know, it seems like it's a really tight job market and the car wash industry is, is changing perceptions, but we still have the perception issues as far as working on working at a car wash and managing at a car wash and you know those those so it makes it even more difficult for our industry and what we do so i want to talk about you know some of the recruiting megatrends as well so I'll, we'll kind of break it up into two sections but you know the first thing i love asking you guys is what are some of the trends that you're seeing this year in state laws and federal laws as far as employment are concerned? Sure, this is Claudia, so I'll, I'll take that piece. Um, we have kind of coming out of the gate in January, we were looking around and we thought, oof, like this tight labor market, like the economy is at full capacity mm. right now. Um, yeah. And that one of the, the biggest trends that everybody who listens to this and you and everyone else knows, the labor market is historically tight. It's at 3.6% nationally and full employment is at four. So we're already past full employment. Um, and that does, is belies what's happening at the local level. You know, I think probably where you are, David, I, I would imagine the unemployment level is probably closer to 2%. Um, right. In, you know, some of the bigger urban cities, they have, you know, maybe four and a half, maybe 5%. But in most of these smaller geographies, you know, some of the, the smaller southern cities, for example, what Midwestern cities, they're, they're down at one and a half. I think it was Peoria, Illinois is less than 1%. Um, oh and so it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, Boise, Idaho is the lowest um, unemployment in, in the entire country. So um, that's just a massive uh, challenge. Um, and it, it means that people go without filling positions. It means that they're having their talent leave them for better opportunities because they're a dime a dozen these days. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the focus really on recruiting, number one, and the, the flip side of that employee engagement and retention has been, has been huge. The other byproduct of that that we're seeing is a drive up in wages. So finally, wages are beginning to increase slowly, but they are beginning to increase. And they've been flat really since the recession. Um, right. So now they're going up nationally around, you know, three and a half, four percent per year. Um, but what Lisa's seeing with her team, and I'll let her speak to that as well, when we're going to market and when we're filling a position, these candidates that are coming in with you know, minimal experience or maybe a lot of experience, but they're commanding salaries 15 to 20% above what our clients are expecting. So that's a, that's a nationwide trend that again, Lisa can, can speak to in her strategies. What we're seeing, we're not seeing much movement on the federal level. Um, obviously this is a, an administration that's very focused on deregulation. So a fair amount of deregulatory things happening, but um, that's really more in sort of OSHA um, type work because con Congress is so broken. Um, nothing really new is coming out. The only thing that's been talked about, there are two things that have been talked about federally. Um, and again, I don't, I, I can't see these, this, this Congress cooperating on anything, but one of them is an increase in the minimum wage federally. It's at um, $7 mm -hmm. and 45 cents and has been for ever really. Um, yeah. So, so perhaps increasing that is one, one conversation. And the other was um, right now in order to be considered an exempt employee, 
you have to satisfy a duties test, but you also have to have a minimum income of at least $23,000. So if you're earning less than $23,000, no matter what you're doing, you have to be paid on an hourly basis and paid overtime. So Obama was talking about increasing that to about $47,000. I remember. Yeah, yeah, then that went away, but um, they're now kicking around, doing, do, increasing it a little bit, but what they're talking about is around $33,000. So basically, okay. anyone earning less than that is going to have to get paid overtime and, and, and track their hours. Um, right. So, so those, are, those are really the only two things that are happening federally. On the state and local level, um, we're seeing a lot, like a lot, like we, we track, we track the legislation and just this month alone, we have five different locales, states and locales that are putting in pay equity legislation. Mm -hmm. And um, this is basically to try to address the wage gap between, between genders and, and between races. Um, and so those who have historically been paid less women historically have been paid about 70 78 cents on the dollar for what a man earns um, to try to close that gap what their these laws basically say is you cannot ask an employee or a candidate for a position what their previous salary history was that you need to base the pay for that position based on your um, your 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 pay scale for that position mm -hmm. because otherwise if you base it on what their previous salary is and you bump it up a percentage you're still never closing that gap um, so it comes in different forms, but, um, cities and states are passing it. Um, no word on the federal level, but, um, but that's a good practice for folks to get into, which is, and we as a practice don't ask what their salary history is. We ask what their salary requirements are to see whether it falls within the range of pay that our candidates are look that our clients are looking for. So, um, so, so that's one thing. Um, the other is that um, immigration, um, you know, ICE raids are up 700% from last year. Wow. 700%. Oh, um, and, yeah. you know, I was just reading in the, the Times this morning that there's a big ICE raid expected um, this weekend. So um, it's usually happening at one location that has a lot of people, like Texas had one where they, they rounded up, I think, a 1,000 employees at a, at a location. Oh, my goodness. But that's a big um, workplace arrests and workplace raids are, are, are a big one. So folks just really need to make sure that they're processing their I-9s correctly and maintaining those correctly and, um, you know, are, are, are doing their best to ad adhere to that, to, to steer clear. But that's a, that's a big motivation, obviously, you know, the, it's a big issue for, for the administration. Um, sexual harassment still is continuing to be um, an issue. Um, states and locales are passing more stringent sexual harassment penalties. Um, for example, New York State just passed a, a whole policy. You have to give a presentation training every one to two years, and they rolled out a policy that every client, every candidate, every every company has to have in their workplace. So really just trying to, to create the both the a, a sexual harassment policy and making sure that companies have a means for investigating and processing and dealing with um, claims of sexual harassment. So that's an on sort of an ongoing thing. Um, and then there are things that have been around for a long time. Probably your, most of the folks here know about them, but like ban the box. So not to include yeah. a box on the, on the application that um, asks about criminal history because that creates a huge barrier um, to employment for folks who do, who do have a criminal record and instead asking, about that later on in the process. Once you've fallen in love with the candidate, then you can discover they've got a criminal history and decide what to do with it before you, you know, otherwise you would just never see them in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind yeah. Of other thing I heard was uh, background checks is there might be some legislation floating around to prohibit background checks before you hire an employee or have you heard that? I or? haven't heard that. I mean, I've heard things in relationship to, um, to uh, the ban the box. One of the things that we see and, and the best practices that we recommend is that background checks only be conducted after a contingent offer of, of employment. So, right. you know, if you've got five candidates and you're running background checks on them to decide which ones you want, that's just going to get you in trouble. Um, you know, the, 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 the best, the, really the best way to go about it is to let them know that you're going to conduct a background check. Give them the yeah. opportunity to let you know if there's anything that they're going to find in the background check and then offer them the job and make sure that they know that um, that the offer is contingent upon an acceptable background check report. 
Okay, good. That's that's the way we're doing it. So that's good news. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to talk to you about the and you know what we're seeing. It seems like so. What I'm seeing as far as mega trends is when unemployment is low, it really gives states a lot of latitude to start increasing, in, you know, regulations on businesses, you know, for employees. It seems like, do you, do you see the correlation between the two? Absolutely. And, you know, um, I, I see it in two ways. I see the correlation between unemployment and I also see the correlation between sort of, uh, I would describe them as employer-friendly uh, federal administration. So right. when we have a Republican in the office, the folks pretty much know that there's not going to be a lot of regulation. And in fact, there'll probably be deregulation. But so states, you'd think that's a good thing if you're a business owner, but in Instead, states then say, well, the government's not going to do anything about it. We're going to have to take matters into our own hands. And right. so, you know, gosh, if you have, if you're working in more than one state or you're, you know, you cross a couple of state boundaries, you have a whole bunch of different things that you have to keep track of because the states are just moving ahead. Yeah. Um, and so that, that does create a, we've actually just offered a new, a new program um, for, for Affinity HR group to track that because otherwise it's almost a full-time job to keep up with yeah. all those changes as they, as they come up on a state and, and even locale. And in fact, some states now are banning um, local jurisdictions rights to create employment law. Um, okay. Because a lot of cities, for example, like New mm. York City, um, they have a, a paid a paid sick leave, they have a parental leave, they have sexual harassment, they ha they have a wide variety of mandated benefits that if you work in New York City, you have to offer that the rest of the state doesn't offer. And many states um, in the country are now prohibiting locales from doing that and saying any anything related to employment and employment law has to come out of the federal government to or out of the state government to prohibit that. This episode of The How of Car Washing is brought to you by STI. STI designs, manufactures, and installs complete belt conveyor systems. Their systems are built for the harshest and most demanding of conditions. Delivering consistent quality and value, an STI belt conveyor will keep your wash operating at its peak potential for years to come. If you have any questions about how an STI belt conveyor could fit into your upcoming project or your existing operations, just give STI a call at 705-728-4868. That's 705-728-4868. Or visit their website at sticonveyor.com. So I want to ask you from a business owner's perspective, because the interesting thing is I've got the business owner perspective and and I, I look at things differently and I, you guys have helped me see the other side and I think that's good. But you know, I, when I hear all these things, like I've got federal regulations, state regulations and local regulations, as a small business owner, it just drives me crazy because I think it just puts a lot of pressure on small businesses. And it's almost like nobody cares about, you know, now I've got more regulation. I've got to institute this administrative program. I've got to make sure my people are trained in these areas you know, it just, it seems like since the small, small businesses are the engine of the economy, mm -hmm. how do you think about that for us? I mean, I realize that some of these things are good for the employee and what's good for the employee could be good for the business, mm -hmm. but it also puts pressure on the small businesses. How do you, how do you help us think through that? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think there's, 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 it's like that what economists say, there's, the, there's one hand and then there's the other hand. So on, right. on the one hand, you know, I, I, I do, and people are going to start throwing tomatoes at their, at their audio devices when I say this. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think that most of these regulations when they're rolled out are rolled out from a place of, of wanting to do better, wanting to do well, you know, they want to protect workers. They want to make sure that, um, that, that those that have the least, power in the economy have some protections and so right you know I, I think that as a society we've benefited historically because of those those sorts of things but our workplaces are changing dramatically now and um, it's super hard for small businesses to to you know um, maybe not so much in the car wash because it's that still is a bricks and mortar and you come up you show up there and you know but 
but the gig economy, I mean, they, somebody says that, that 50% of workers will have some form of gig economy work by, by 2030. So, mm -hmm. so this is really where, you know, I'm not really an employee, I'm an independent contractor and I'm doing lots of different things for lots of different people and, and creating a space for that type of, of workforce and, and for that change as, as it happens. Um, we, the one thing that I, that I love about, um, this gonna, I'm, I sound like I'm tooting my own or our own horn, but um, uh, Paige McAllister, who's our who's our compliance person, um, she just 100% looks at HR compliance from the small business owner's perspective. And uh -huh. what she'll tell you, and what I would agree, is that literally not a single company on earth is 100% client compliant with all labor laws. It is impossible. Sure. And so really what you're dealing with is a level of risk. How much risk are you willing to take? How much risk are you willing to tolerate? And then how do you, how do you work within that conf, those confines? And so for example, let's say that you, you have a, you know, a, a site manager that, um, that you just can't stand and you um, should have been disciplining them a long time ago and maybe they're a protected class. Let's say they're 50 years old and a minority. And you decide, I just want to fire that person. Well, if you haven't been giving them any feedback and you haven't been giving them any performance reviews along the way, they could probably claim a claim of discrimination, even though that probably isn't, even though I know that wouldn't be your intent, but that might right. be the perception that they have. So we just try to let them know, here's the law, here's how you protect around it, protect yourself from it. And, and you can't keep somebody from suing you. That's their right. Um, the best thing you can do is just try to minimize their likelihood to see you and here's some of the things that you can do. So it's really just trying to, it's really trying to help every small company that we work with, work within their culture to understand what their tolerance is, what they want to accomplish and how best to accomplish it and protect them as best as possible. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Yeah, and I think it's good that you, you're able to kind of see both sides of things, both the employer and the employee. And then people that hire you are employers, right? Right. So you've got that perspective, but you also help them see, okay, you want to create a good workforce. If you want to create a good workforce, here are the things you need to do in order, order to do so. And, and you know, I think, it, I think it does sort of work itself out. I think, you know, I'm going to ask you about minimum wage increases because I don't like that. I don't think... I don't think it's helpful to the economy. I think it, you know, I, I understand that people need to make, you know, we, we need to kind of create some wages that make sense, but I don't see minimum wages doing that. So I want to ask you what you think the impact of that minimum wage is. I, I feel like what it does for us is it, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to pass that on to our customers eventually, you know, if we're looking at two to $15 an hour minimum wage. I also think it increases prices, you know, because everybody's going to have to charge more. So I don't think those people benefit, but I'll think it doesn't make it easier for me to want to hire people in, you know, I'm not going to hire extra people. I'm not going to hire the, the high school kid to come. Like I used to hire high school kids to come wax our vacuum arches at the car wash mm -hmm. in, 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 in the summer. So one of my friends would call him and say, Hey, can you hire Bill to come work this summer? And I, I would throw him in to do that. Right. But but I'm not going to pay $15 an hour for a kid to do those type of things. So I think it, it takes people out of the workforce that, that could get introductory work. Mm -hmm. So what is your perspective on that? And what, what, what do you think the impact of that will be on the workforce? Well, I mean, I, I, I think, I think my overall perspective on it, um, I have two generation Z kids. Lisa and I both have two boys um, ranging in ages from 19 to, to 16 so or 15. So we, 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 we get that, you know, hiring the kid thing. My, my personal perspective is I think that we need to have a society where people can earn a living wage. And if you can't earn, I don't know who could possibly survive on $7.45 an hour working full time. Um, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where you could live with rent and the cost of living and everything. So my thinking is that definitely needs to, that needs to come into, you need to be able to at least live on a minimum wage if it is the minimum wage. That, that That's just sort of my, my philosophy. I think 
it's super hard when you've got all of these geographically based minimum wages that are going up. You know, the, the minimum wage in New York City is different than the minimum wage here in Syracuse. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I also work a lot on the janitorial sector. So all of the, the janitors, you know, and these are minimum wage, most, you know, completely entry level workers. And if the minimum wage is now $15 an hour, well, you know, then you have to, that, that entirely gets passed on to the client. There's nothing you can do about that. So, and the other thing is then, you know, if you were paying $15 an hour, well, that was a pretty good wage when the minimum wage was $7.45. But now that it's 15, I don't want to be earning minimum wage. So now that pressure is for you to be paying me 20. So um, I I think that there are, I, I think that there are significant winners and losers when you have a disparate minimum wage, um, uh, process. I, I also think, and and we don't want to get into politics, but I also think that something is off because people are just the, the, our middle class is sort of going away, you know, I and and that, yeah. that wage yeah. disparity is just getting just worse and worse and worse and worse. And I I I you know I have lots of thoughts about that, but what we really try to do is just let people know that here's the minimum wage and you should probably be reevaluating your pay scale. And we bring our compensation experts in and try to help folks just develop a strategy. But what I will tell folks um, is that regardless of where you are, wages are set to increase. They will be going up. And if you don't respond in kind with this tight labor market, you will lose your labor. Um, yeah. It's just too tight of a, it's just too tight of a market now not to respond. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. It's interesting to get your, your perspective. I agree with the, the, with the issue with the middle class. You know, we're not, we're not developing an economy that is creating a strong middle class. And so maybe that's why, you know, we've got to sort of shore up the bottom end mm-hmm. of our working economy. You know, that, that makes sense. And, and that's a good thing about Claudia is we got different perspectives, but you help educate me a little bit on the other side. Mm-hmm. Why maybe increasing minimum wage is a good thing where I think it's a bad thing. Well, David, I have to say, if, if I've convinced you, then you're one of the easiest person people to convince because <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's very hard. open it's, it's, and I'm yeah. very grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, one thing I'm trying, I'm trying to be open to, to other ideas now. I'm saying, you know, I've got great. this philosophy, but I want to understand the other philosophy and why it's so I'm because I'm, I'm getting I'm getting tired of the great that's an, divide in our country. So I'm trying to understand the other side. More with that's inspirational, Absolutely. and I hope we all I hope we all come at it from that perspective. And <laughs> I I'm super super lucky because you know I I do I do tend to lean one way as opposed to another politically. Yeah. Um, you know. I, I'm in, I'm from New yeah. York City, so <laughs> it's not, not a tough yeah. one. And I'm but from rural West Texas, so you probably clients, right. <laughs> and, and literally all of my clients, the vast, vast majority of them are small business owners. They're conservative, they're Republican, yeah. they come from all over the country. And, and I love yeah. them, you know, I care about these people and I care about their views. So um, I, I too uh, really, really seek to understand you know, and, and to change my mind, to challenge myself, to change my yeah. mind about things as often as I can, because I, I think that I'm, I've, kudos to you, David, you've given me something inspirational to think about today. Well, good. Well, good. I appreciate that. And, you know, hopefully we can do that more as a country. We'll get, we'll get better as we go along. So I'm going to throw some questions at Lisa here real quick about recruiting. So, you know, job hunting, I think it's tough as employers. I'm also finding it tough for employees. You know, I've got a son that just graduated from college who kind of had mm-hmm. trouble finding a job. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised, you know, but here's a newly minted college graduate that was difficult. It was difficult for him to find a job he liked. And I think he's probably a little underemployed right now in his first job. And maybe that's okay mm-hmm. for the first go around. But, um, you know, it's it seems like it, it's, it, do you think it's an employee market? Because I, I, you know, I look at the other side and think, well, m- maybe it's not. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of seeing a mismatch there between what I'm hearing, you know, as far as unemployment and maybe what kids coming out of college are struggling with. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that, generally speaking, yes, it is an employee market. I think um, probably a good 95% of the positions that we filled in the last six to eight months 
the candidates had multiple offers on the table. Okay. Um, and, and we won more of those than we lost, but we did lose a few of candidate, yeah. candidates to other opportunities. So, um, it, you know, and that it, your point about your son brings up kind of that the college versus the trades kind of yeah. thing, you know, that, that conversation that we're having as a nation. And, you know, I used to be that, that, that mom that said, you have to go to college, you have to go to college. And, and now I think you do have, a, you know, a very large population of new college graduates that are, that are coming out and that are, that are maybe having some difficulty where as on the trade side of, of the world, you know, they can't, they really can't find enough people. Yeah, to do what yeah. they need to have done. So, yeah. um, so that's a whole nother conversation, no whole nother conversation. But I think, um, you know, there, there are some challenges, um, on the employee side. I think, you know, the market is moving really, really fast. Um, and in, in a lot of ways there, there are just so many options out there, yeah. which, you know, can, it's, it's a great thing. It's a good problem to have, but it's also a challenge. So, so I think, uh, you know, some of the things that are playing into that as well is, is to Claudia's point, the compensation expectations are ticking up so that, you know, a lot of these um, younger folks that are right out of college are, are demanding higher, higher salaries than what a lot of employers are comfortable with paying. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's a piece of it as well. So I think to your point, there, there are challenges uh, on the employee side, but I think probably it's, uh, it's a better employee market than it is employer market right now. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And it's becoming really challenging to recruit. And uh, thank goodness we, you know, I was so frustrated trying to hire site managers. And that's when I said, you know what, we're going to get some help. So that's when I called you guys to kind of help us with a site manager selection in a very tight market. And I knew we were going to be challenged in trying to find decent candidates. Um, but, uh, you know, so recruiting has changed. And, and, and I think you've, you've kind of touched on it where people are getting multiple offers. So speed is one of the big components I think you're seeing probably now, you know, you have to be able to move quickly. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the first conversations that we'll have with our clients is if you're not ready to really focus on this, and certainly small business owners have, you know, they've got their hands in every piece of the business. But if you don't have the bandwidth to really focus on this, um, it's probably not a good idea to do it. Yeah. Um, so, um, and where we run, and we don't want to skip steps, right? So we still want to make sure that we're seriously vetting these candidates and that they're, we're allowing them to vet us as employers as well. Um, but we don't want to have, have gaps in those pro in those steps because somebody else will, will nab them. And I, and I think that is maybe a challenge that we'll, we might see in the coming, coming year or two years mm -hmm. is that because the market is moving so quickly, um, you know, and they have these multiple offers or, you know, we may be a little bit slower and they may take another job. These employees may find that the grass was not greener. You know, they, they took something right away versus kind of, kind of waiting for that right opportunity. I don't know that that's happening a lot, but it could be something that we see where, you know, in a year or two, we may have people looking again okay. to make moves. So, so you, you like to sort of develop a relationship with that potential employee, um, you know, whether they were selected or even not selected. I think you were sort of talking about that before the podcast, but kind of explain a little bit about how you might be able to help with that. So if I'm a car wash assistant manager and I want to be a car wash site manager, you know, you, you might have found me somewhere and, mm -hmm. you know, or, or are people contacting you or how... Uh, are you developing relationships more with employees or with more employers? Well, with both. So we're, we are a retained search. So companies like yours come to us and say, we need to fill this position. And then we go out and we go out and search and find those people. Um, so we do have a database of candidates, but it's national database. So it is not always going to be relevant to, um, to the position that you're trying to fill. Um, you know, gone are the days of posting a job, on ZipRecruiter and Indeed and wherever and crossing your fingers and hoping that, you know, the right person applies. Yeah. They might, they really might. So yeah. that, you know, that, ha but you can't count on that. Um, so a big piece of what we do and what we encourage our clients to do is go out there and actively find people that are maybe passive candidates who, because a large part of the population would, 
would consider the right opportunity. They're just not out there on the job boards looking for that right opportunity. Right. Um, so in a, in a big thing when, when, and David, you know, this, when we start a recruiting project, we, we want to hear in your words, your story as a company and your culture and what makes you guys successful, because those are really, really important things to communicate to these candidates, to get them engaged. It's, it's not really about peppering the, the candidate with questions, although we want to do that. We want to make sure that they're the right fit. But we also want to make sure it's the right fit on the other side of the table. We want to get them excited about your opportunity. Right. Otherwise, they'll go somewhere else. Right. You know, that, it's, it's really interesting when you, when you talk about that because it's, um, you know, it's got to be a fit on both sides, obviously. And you want, you know, you want the employee. The last thing I want to do is hire somebody that's not going to work out. And I've had, a, you know, we've had a, we had a few missteps at our new site, and that's why we brought you guys in. We were on manager number three, I think, at the, mm-hmm. the time we, you know, we, we were bringing you in because we just, we weren't, we weren't able to figure out why it wasn't a good fit or whatever. But, you know, now as a small company, if I'm not growing, right, so one of the big things now is how many sites do you have in the car wash industry? And, and if you don't, if you're not showing that growth, Right. Because everybody saying, oh, I want to be a, a, a district manager. I want to I want to, you know, I want to be an operations manager or something. If, if there's not that ability to promote somebody, how do you how do you still create an environment where it's interesting for somebody to want to come work for you? Mm-hmm. And that's especially important with millennials and, and the younger generation in in that feedback and that uh, that transparency of how their responsibilities and their job contributes to the, to the company as a whole. Mm, right. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talk about that whole, I mean, we've had so many conferences and workshops on, you know, millennials <laughs> Please, and how to hire millennials. I am so sick of giving I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I honestly, I, like, I literally just got a request in yesterday and I thought they're 50% of the workforce. Like, are we still having to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, we're still talking about the millennials, you know. But what's interesting is I listened to a I listened to a, a business XM radio and somebody was talking about the millennials and millennials are now becoming managers. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. now we got to think of them as how are they going to manage and what their management style yeah. is. They're pushing 40. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so it was interesting that say in general, you know, Millennials and and before probably had higher levels of communication. So their their ability to communicate, their ability, you know, their their parents probably communicated more with them than our parents did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they had they were able to communicate with their friends instantly. So they're used to high levels of communication. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea that, you know, where before as a manager, I, I love the old school manager, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you to do it and you need to do it because I told you to do it. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't work anymore. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm the old guy. Right. So, <laughs> um, but they expect higher levels of communication. As long know. as you're not writing them a note in script because they can't read that. I <laughs> <laughs> can't right. read handwriting. <laughs> and they can't write in handwriting anymore either. Mm-hmm. Type it out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. so, so developing a workforce that communicates well. So that, that's everything from telling them why you're doing what you're doing. So explaining the why, which I think is good. I, you know, I, I don't like my old school self says I don't like telling you why because I told you. But I think it's good to explain the why. You know, why, why do we check the parking lot every 30 minutes? And I think because, first of all, it's, it's good for them to know. But also as a manager and an owner, it helps me check why are we really doing this? Do we really need to do this every day? Is there a good reason to do it? So it mm-hmm. challenges me in thinking about when I create a policy and procedure, am I thinking about the why? Mm-hmm. And so one, one thing we did in our policy and procedures manuals, we have, here's the policy and underneath it, why? Why do we have this policy? Mm-hmm. And I think it's good. So what, what are some creative ways you think that we can communicate with employees? How, how do we increase our communication? Is that a good thing? you know, is that it's, it's a culture change for some people to actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot at it just because I've been talking so much about it over the last <laughs> few years, but I have lots of thoughts. Um, but, but yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm a generation X and I was raised by a traditional. And so traditionals were command and control folks. Is and that then, me? 
Is that uh, probably, no, okay. you're, you're probably a boomer. You're yeah, either, I think so. Traditionals are before boomers. The traditionals are before, but they're the, they're the greatest generation. They Got were the it. World War II folks. Okay. And, you know, okay. very command and control and, you know, by the rules and hierarchy and lines of authority and you're working your way up. Very right. conservative. Right. Um, uh, so, so those are, th that's who, those are who raised Generation X, which is my generation. We don't even really need to talk about it because nobody cares about Generation X. We're, we <laughs> we're wedged between boomers and millennials. There and you go. You guys are the lost generation. All the air out of it, right? <laughs> but, but like we were raised. So, so what's interesting is that um, Generation X, we were the first generation whose mothers went to work. Right. And so we were kind of raised by ourselves and much more independent. But boomers were really very collaborative, very cooperative, very communicative. And that's how they raised their kids. Okay. So the boomers raised these millennials. So basically, right. if you have a problem with a millennial, David, it's your fault. It's our fault. <laughs> I, I'm taking full responsibility for all this. You raised them. Lisa, Lisa and I are raising Generation Z. So you, okay. can, you can critique how we did. But, I'll do um, it. I'll but, but one of the things that, um, they want an overabundance of communication, always giving them verbal communication in person if possible is the best, just because that's the best way to communicate anyway. Um, uh, but having that and, and, and letting them know why, and just because we always did is not a great reason. They, they wanna know why things are the way they are. They want a seat at the table and, and they know that life is short and they, that they can have lots of different options. And, and so they, they want to know about the value of the organization, the mission of the organization, what you're contributing to the world and, and having that workplace flexibility. So, you know, I, I think as much communication, explaining the why, and you know what, on the policies that you talked about and having the why of the policy, if they have a problem with that policy, I, I literally just shot a video about this yesterday. I recommend that you let them and maybe a cross-section generational group get together, cell phone use, for example. Everybody yeah. has issues with cell phone use. Let them understand, okay, here's what we need. We need, we need to be attentive when our clients are here and we need to be safe. So if you craft a cell phone policy that's, that's appropriate. Yeah. And and let them come up with the policies so that because they're they'll understand the business goal, but if you just sort of foist something on them, um, you may not get as much of a buy in and it may not be quite the right policy. Social media, time and attendance, um, you know, so many policies. This generation it doesn't necessarily make that much sense for or sense to and, and um so, so I, I would, in, I would include them in all of those conversations if, if, if they're pushing back and if they have some challenges or if you're struggling with, you know, how to deal with the situation, how to set, you know, breaks, how to, how to rotate breaks, how to rotate around your team. They're doing the work. Let them, let them brainstorm some of the solutions. So, you know, so that you get the best of what everybody's experiencing. I, yeah. I strongly believe that the other thing, and I'll, I'm going to be super quick about this, but, um, Gallup organization, um, evaluated the 12 most important things in the workplace that really, really, really highly engaged employees say matter to them. And, um, I'm just going to read through it really quickly because I think it's powerful. And the number one most important thing that highly engaged people say they have at work is number one, they know what's expected of them at work. They have the tools and equipment to do their work right. They have the opportunity to do what they do best every day. In the last seven days, they've received recognition or praise for doing good work, which is huge for a millennial. Wow. Yeah. My supervisor or someone at work seems to care about me as a person. There's someone at work who encourages my development. At work, my opinions seem to count. The mission or purpose of my organization makes me feel my job is important. My associates or fellow employees are committed to doing good quality work. I have a best friend at work. In the last six months, someone has talked to me about my progress. And this last year, I've had opportunities to learn and grow. So, all of those things speak to millennials. Yeah. None of those things cost any money. Yeah. And, and money's not on that list. So that communication piece that you were talking about, David, it's, it's just critical. It's just the most important thing you can do. Yeah. No, I agree with that. That's really a great list there. You know, think about, have you 
praise somebody in the last seven days? You know, do they feel like they've, they've accomplished something? It, it's interesting. Do they have a, do they have a best friend at work? That's a really interesting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that'd be a great question to ask employees. One thing I'm trying to encourage my team to do, my site managers and my operations managers, Matt, is do one-on-ones. So mm-hmm. spend at least 15 to 30 minutes having a conversation, not, you know, not, it could be about business or whatever, but just sit down and communicate. How's it going? What's going on with you? You know, how are things going in your personal life? You know, having those conversations with them. But, you know, you think about the workers. Do they have somebody, you know, they have a friend at work. Right. I can see why that's important to them. Yeah. I do. Lisa's my best friend. But there she certainly, go. she wasn't when I when I hired her. Yeah. You know, it's just when you work together and, and you know, you spend the majority of your life at work. So those relationships matter. They yeah. really, really, they really do. do. Yeah. yeah. No, I, really I, do. I think that's, that's incredible. That's good. You know, and the one thing that I've, you know, in hiring, I hired Matt about a year ago, a little, little more than a year ago, because I needed some focus on the sites. I needed, you know, employee focus. It, it wasn't my forte. It wasn't something I was good at doing. And I wasn't going to show up on site every day and communicate with the managers and teach the managers. Um, so I had to hire somebody to do that. And I made that financial investment to hire an operations manager to do that. And I'm seeing the benefits of it. I'm seeing a more, you know, stabilized workforce. I'm seeing certain, you know, certain teams are better than others, but I'm seeing the groups, the sites work as a team together. And there's some additional things that we've talked about that I need to get better at too. But, um, you know, that transition between realizing that, and I was terrible about this was as far as as soon as I recruited and hire somebody, I was done. I thought my job. Dump and run. (laughs) That is the worst thing you can do. And I see a lot of car wash owners do that, right? Mm -hmm. I've hired the person. I can now, you know, I can high five myself and I'm off to doing the other things I need to do. But realizing that recruiting and hiring and development is a full-time job. And And the most important one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it makes, it's the difference between having a, a, a decent life and having a miserable life as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, because you've got, you know, unhappy customers, you've got unhappy employees, you've got a lot of turnover and it's just that constant headache. And if you don't try to fix that and nip that in the bud sooner than later, you know, I, I think that's where there's going to be winners and losers in this industry mm-hmm. will be the people that can provide good customer service. But the only way you can do that is have a good team. Most people don't quit their jobs. They quit their managers. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Completely. So if people want to find out more information and need some help on assessments or mm-hmm. recruiting or whatever, how would they reach you guys? So there's a couple of ways. Um, they can go to our website and see our menu of services, which has all of our pricing. So that's affinityhrgroup.com forward slash ICA. Um, and they can also hit the contact us on that website. It comes directly to, to us as well. Or they can email me at Claudia at AffinityHRGroup.com and Lisa's Lisa at AffinityHRGroup.com. Perfect. Yeah. So lots of services they offered. I did have my policy and procedures manual rewritten mm-hmm. uh, by you folks, I guess, last year. So they, they do a lot of different things HR-wise. So they can be your your HR department to some extent, um, you know, if you're a small business owner, they're, they're good to lean on. So, you know, definitely think about how you can take advantage of that. So guys, this is my first double interview. I appreciate it. It was fun. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks for letting us do it. And we'll, we'll definitely do it again. Sounds terrific. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the how of car washing. We appreciate it. Go out to iTunes or Stitcher if you'd like to leave a review. We, we certainly covet your reviews. It helps other people know what we're doing here. And we're also on Spotify and Google Play. If that's your, your, uh, your podcast platform of choice, you can find us there. But uh, we also are on our website, www.thehowofcarwashing.com. And uh, for Lisa and Claudia, this is David Begin. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The How of Car Wash. And once again, thanks to our sponsor for this podcast, STI Conveyor Systems. STI Conveyor Systems is the gold standard in belted conveyor systems for car washing. For more information, go to sdiconveyor.com or contact them at 705-728-4868. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.